0: Um, Today's reading is taken from John chapter 20, verses 19 to the end. This can be found on page 1029 of your blue Bibles or 1921 of the large print Bibles. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood amongst them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of anyone, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in the book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. This is the Gospel of the Lord.
1: Good morning, guys. So today we're talking about the resurrection and the resurrection appearance of Jesus to the disciples is one of those stories that most Christians will probably have learned inside out by now from attending church in the weeks leading up to Easter and in reading devotional books or from identifying with its most popularized character, the one we often call Doubting Thomas. It's easy to understand why people fixate on the character of Thomas. The easy message lies in his interactions with Jesus. He's not present the first time Jesus appears to the other disciples. And he makes some rash remarks in his disbelief about Jesus' return. This opens Thomas up to this whole line of thinking of, Oh, poor Thomas, he just doesn't get it. If only he had believed the first time. Well, that kind of thinking is completely valid, but I'm not quite certain that it's the actual focus of the story. Spoiler alert, Jesus sends down the Holy Spirit on these disciples at the time when Thomas is not present. So let's flash forward eight days. Thomas is right there with the other disciples when Jesus appears again. And this time he is invited to put his fingers into Jesus's bodily wounds. Pause for a deep breath if you need to. We're going to look at some paintings in a minute to see how Renaissance artists right through to contemporary times have interpreted this passage. And one or two of them do get a bit weird about the way they portray Thomas. Before we take a look at these, I just want to point out that the writer of John never explicitly says that Thomas actually took Jesus up on sticking his fingers in those wounds. I'd imagine seeing the risen Christ was probably plenty. The invitation from Jesus to touch his wounds is likely an embellishment provided by the writer of John, or even if it's taken literally Well, this is more of a friendly invitation than a challenge to to Thomas. It's not something Jesus would necessarily have expected him to follow through on. Remember, immediately before the invitation, Jesus says, Peace be with you. I've heard discourse on this passage to the extent of Thomas almost being punished for his skepticism and being forced to touch Jesus' wounds. I mean, that would be a bizarre penance. And I find that theory completely incompatible with the Christ I've come to know from the extensive study of the scriptures. And I find it incompatible with my understanding of the historical Jesus. Further, it's a bit of a mismatch with a God who forgives us for all of our mistakes and doubts. This is a God who sends, he set, he set, to bridge the gap between our inadequacies and the all-encompassing love of the Creator in the events of Easter just a short time before this. And I'm also not sure that Thomas is the whole story here. We're going to look at some interpretations of this story and then we'll dig a little bit deeper. Could we go back to that first slide, please? So this first one is by an Italian painter called Duccio di Buonisegna and its title in English translates to Christ Appears to the Apostles Behind Closed Doors It's from the early 14th century and it's painted in a style that's very similar to the way that icons are painted Um, you may have seen icons in Canterbury Cathedral if you've ever visited or you may have seen the one that we put on the altar every now and again up here of St. Elphage. But the intent of this painting is to draw all of the attention to Jesus stood at the center and to give you sort of an eerie feeling something sort of otherworldly about it to make you think about it in a different way to the way you might actually uh, imagine it in your mind. And so I think it's safe to say that the arrival of Jesus didn't go quite like this. They probably weren't all set up to flank. Somebody stood right in the center of the room. And uh, I'm guessing their heads weren't all glowing. I'm glad somebody thought that was funny. Yeah, so this is from the early 14th century. And this is the way that uh, probably traditional Roman Catholics would have viewed this this visitation of Jesus. Can we move on to the next one? Right, this one is by Caravaggio. And this one is called Doubting Thomas. It's from 1603. And again, remember, in the biblical text, we're not actually told at any point that Thomas puts his hand into Jesus' side. But Caravaggio has decided, like, he definitely did. He's got his finger right up in there. And... I'd like to pause and think about why he might have decided that he was going to portray this, pain, you know, this scene from the Bible in this way. And so I'm going to invite you all to have 15 or 20 seconds talking to your neighbors. And the most clever response gets a street pastor's hat. <laughs> He's thinking now. So take 15 or 20 seconds and just talk to your neighbors. Uh, can you draw your thoughts to a close and then maybe if anybody's got some really clever or funny or you actually studied art history and know what this painting is about, might be able to weigh in on it. Linda. Oh, absolutely. Linda's hit it. She said, it's, this says more about Caravaggio than it does about Jesus or Thomas. Has anybody else got anything they've come up with? It is artistic license, yes. All right, so it's playing with the light and shading, and that's something from the time. I, I can't repeat all of that. That was way more in-depth than I uh, am able to, <laughs> to talk about painting. I did a foundation year of art, and I don't remember anything about it at this point, if I'm quite honest. So can we move on to the next one? So this one is from Hendrik Terbruggen, and it's a Dutch painting called The Incredulity of St. Thomas. This was finished around 1622, just 19 years after Caravaggio's, and it's similar, but it's different. Can anybody tell me how it's different? It's still got the light and dark. It's still got the light and dark. I'll just answer this for you, because like I'm going to wind up running way over time. Otherwise, there's a guy on this side, and there's some guys on this side. The other one, they were all on one side. All right. Can we move on to the next one? So this one is Ludovico Mazzolino, and he's another Italian. He was very clever with the name. This one is also called The Incredulity of St. Thomas. Uh, This will be the one to come back to and focus on, Gary, whenever we're done with all of this part. So this was finished in 1522. That's 100 years before Terbruggen. So Terbruggen actually stole the name from... Ludovico Mazzolini, and it sh- maybe he didn't steal, borrowed. It shows an interaction uh, between just two figures. This is just Jesus and Thomas in this one. And he's put them outside of the locked room. He's put them in sort of an ethereal place outside of a city. And what I think is going on here is he's really capturing that moment of that one interaction between Thomas and Jesus, and that's why we'll come back to this one when we start talking about the passage again in just a minute. The next one is from a contemporary artist who I'm friends with on Facebook now because I liked his painting and he sent me a friend request. This one is by Ed de Guzman, and he lives in the Philippines. And this is Jesus Appears to the Disciples, painted in 2013. Now there's a lot of differences in the way that this one is painted to all of the Renaissance paintings we've looked at, but there is one massive difference. Can anybody see the massive difference between this one and the other ones? There's a woman in it. Very good. That took a while at 8.45, didn't it? Who am I talking to? You're not even looking at me. Okay, anyway. (laughs) I must apologize. I've had about three hours of sleep last night after moving this weekend. All right. Anyway, there's a woman in this one. And I think it's useful to remember that women were actually very important throughout Jesus's ministry. And the writer of John didn't say one way or the other who was there whenever he appeared. Just that Jesus appeared to his disciples. And we know from other stories that that group definitely included women. Can we move on to the next one? And this one is a little bit different on the same theme. This is by a female painter called Lavinia Fontana. She's also Italian. And this one is Jesus appears to Mary Magdalene. This was completed in 1581 and it's a rare example of a woman who was commissioned to paint notable pieces. This is worth looking at as a reminder that at least according to the writer of John, Jesus appeared first to Mary Magdalene before he appeared to the other disciples. We can't possibly know for sure if John constructed the events this way for a reason, or if it's of any historical significance to us, but it's worth noting at a glance. Women were regarded as very much just as important as the rest of Jesus' male followers at the time of his resurrection. So we're going to stay with that point for a brief moment before we head back into today's passage. So after Jesus' initial appearance to Mary Magdalene outside the tomb in John's Gospel, the next appearance comes at the beginning of today's passage. This passage is loaded with significance for us as Christians today, so I'm going to get right down to it. First of all, upon appearing to the gathered disciples, Jesus greets them with the familiar Sunday morning communion expression, Peace be with you. Peace has become a bit of a catchphrase for Jesus by this point, being a word he uses at least 105 times in the King James translation, and sometimes more and sometimes less in other translations of the Bible. Clearly, peace is something Jesus values, and something he hopes to establish among those who gather because of him. He shows the disciples his hands and his side and then again says, peace be with you. The second time he extends that salutation by saying, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And here is their imperative to go out in Christ's name. To be sent as Jesus was sent. With all of the fervor of Passover of Good Friday, and indeed Easter, still fresh in their minds. I'm sure this would have seemed a bit overwhelming to the disciples in that moment. I've done three years of training for this kind of ministry, and it still seems overwhelming sometimes. This is still our call today, as much as it was for those disciples encountering Jesus. And it is a big ask. But the next thing Jesus says, this is what makes it all achievable. Receive the Holy Spirit. Yes, the Holy Spirit. That thing we talk about, but sometimes seem to neglect the full impact of. And that might be because it's not a thing at all. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. And yes, the Holy Spirit is meant to be viewed as a person. Maybe not in physical being, but in personality, in character. The Holy Spirit is a being we can form a personal relationship with. I've heard people liken the Holy Spirit's presence to being the conscience or our moral compass and there's all, other, there's all these sorts of allusions to being some sort of spiritual sat-nav. And I'll leave the interpretations up to you, because quite frankly, that could be another sermon series all unto itself. After Jesus gives the disciples the gift of the Holy Spirit, another huge thing happens. And this is huge for the way we as Christ followers are supposed to conduct ourselves. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. So that thing we ask God to do for us at least every Sunday that we come to church. That thing that happens in every service. That thing we did. Just before I reach up high, I touch the ground. That's part of the risen Christ's intent for all of us. We don't just ask for forgiveness. We also forgive others. So we need to forgive others. And we get better at that by building a solid relationship with the Holy Spirit. Whether for us that's through prayer, or reading the Bible, or singing worship songs, talking to other Christians, there's as many ways to work on a relationship with the Holy Spirit as there are ways to pray, or as there are indeed to build relationships with any other being. Think about the ways that we build relationships with our friends, and with our pets, and with our neighbors, and our co-workers. We're sent out to them like Christ was sent to us. And we can go about our calling to love others and forgive them by building on our understanding of the Holy Spirit in whatever way that makes sense to us. Can we have the other painting, please? So this is where Thomas comes into the story. So that line of thinking, is it, oh, poor Thomas, he didn't get it. Or could it be, lucky Thomas, he received Christ's forgiveness firsthand. He didn't believe without seeing. But Jesus doesn't get angry with him. He gets the same greeting the other disciples received last time. Peace be with you. Then the invitation. Okay, Thomas. If you really need to touch my wounds to believe, that's all right with me. But if seeing me here now, if that's enough, that's all right, too so long as you're ready to believe. But those people who didn't see and still believe, those people are well and truly blessed. Then this gospel ends in a bit of a funny way. Jesus did many other things in the presence of the disciples, but basically you've just read enough of them to believe now. You just read about Thomas. He didn't believe without seeing at first. But blessed are you who believe without seeing. You have life in his name. My brothers and sisters here today with me, peace be with you. Amen.